Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. If you have your Bibles, we will be uh, in various places. I had Royce read out of John chapter 3, but really I'm finishing last week's sermon. Last week's sermon uh, was about 40 minutes long when I looked down at my phone and I was like, ooh, I better wrap this up. Uh, Because just because the Holy Spirit's moving up here in the pulpit doesn't mean he's moving through your toddlers in there. So for the kids, people, I try, I try to keep a good eye on the uh, on the clock. And so I, I wanted to come back to this because last week was really intense. It was a lot of it's pretty heavy uh, because Jesus makes it heavy. But I didn't want you to get the uh, impression that last week was not good news. So let me read the text that we preached on last week. And this is truly a terrifying verse. Uh, Jesus says this. This is uh, John chapter two, verse twenty three through twenty five. It says, while he, he being Jesus, was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name. They believed in him when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them. And that word entrust in the Greek is literally the word believe. Entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man. For he himself knew what was in man. That, in other words, what we saw last week was that there is a type of person who believes in Jesus and Jesus does not believe in them. You know, I've always grown up on John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that whosoever believes, whosoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. And literally on the same page of my Bible, John two to John three, we have this text, which says there are some people who believe and they'll get on the day of judgment and they'll see Jesus and they'll say, Jesus, I believed in you. And Jesus will say, yeah, I know you believed in me, but I did not believe in you. And so to sum up 40 minutes in about hopefully 15 seconds of last week, basically what I said is that there are two types of belief. There are those who believe in Jesus so far as Jesus will help them. We call these people seekers. They don't really seek after Jesus. They seek after what Jesus can get them. Their real God is money or fame or people liking them or, you know, their health list of any many things. And what they want is they see this Jesus guy who does miracles and they think this Jesus guy can help me get what I really want. I don't love Jesus. I just, my marriage is falling apart. And so I need somebody to help me with my marriage. And if it's Jesus or Buddha or the guy down the street, I don't care. I just need somebody to help me. And those are the type of people who don't actually believe in Jesus. Jesus wants those who come to him and say, I believe in you. We call these people last week servants of Jesus. The best illustration I ever did on this, uh, it's really kind of sad. It happened when I was a youth pastor. Some of my best illustrations are things I made up at the very beginning of my ministry, so I don't know what that tells you about my preaching. I think I'm diminishing in returns, but the best illustration I can use for this is I had two kids come up, and and they each held a whiteboard, and on one whiteboard, I'd draw a circle in the center of the whiteboard, and I'd put the word me in the middle of it, and then I'd draw out lines with circles all around it, and I'd say things like, you know, family, money, uh, friends. And what I would say is often what we do and how we all live is with me in the center, I decide what I want in these things. I decide what I want with my money. I decide what I want to do with my family and friends. I decide all of these things for myself. What Blake thinks is best is best. And I pursue things based upon what I think. And then I said, some of us become what we think are Christians. And what we do is we put Jesus in one of those circles. And so now Jesus is to help me get what I really want. Jesus flows in to help me get the finances or the health or whatever it is that I want the way I want it. And if Jesus doesn't show up in those ways, then I'm done with Jesus. These are the type of people who come and say, why would God allow such and such to happen in my life? 
And they become mad at God because God wasn't their genie. These are the types of people who say things like prayer doesn't work. I prayed and it didn't happen as if God was a vending machine. And you pressed all the right buttons. So why didn't the right thing come out? And we begin to even see Jesus as something that we can manipulate. Well, in reality, that's not Christianity at all. And then I'd go over to the other whiteboard and I'd say what Christianity is, is seeing Jesus and erasing yourself out of the center of the circle and putting Jesus in the center of the circle and taking that me and putting it outside of the circle. So now, Jesus, what do you want with my finances? That's what I want to do. Jesus, how do you want me to view my family? That's what I want to do. And Jesus, how do you view me? My life is not my own. My life is yours. You do not exist to serve me. I exist to serve you. There's one king and it's not me. I lay down my crown and I give it to you, Jesus. And I serve you in all of life. That's what I preached last week. You can tell it's kind of intense. You guys are all staring at me like, oh boy. But what I don't want you to get is the impression that this is like the bad news about the good news. You know, it's kind of how I always took it. You know, Jesus would say, count the cost before you follow me, deny yourself, bear your cross. And I thought, yeah, but at least I don't have to burn in hell forever, you know. <laughs> so this is, this is kind of the, the, the caveat. You know, I, I follow Jesus, not all that great, but, you know, all this benefit over here. When in reality, what I want you to understand is this is actually a part of the good news. For you to realize that you are not a good king and a good queen in your life. And there are things that appear right to you, but they lead to death. And so turning your reins of your life over to Jesus is actually good news for you. Not just in the next life, but in this life right now. So I'm going to today give three pieces of good news and why it is good news. That when I say we give our life to Jesus, that it's actually good news for us. Not later on, but even right now. But first, let me pray. Father... Thank you for each of these individuals who are here today. God, I believe none of them are here by accident. God, I believe that you transpired in such a way that things would line up for them to be here in this room. And Lord, I believe that the words I say are uniquely for them. God, I pray for them. I pray that as I work hard at preaching and hopefully getting across just why this is such good news, Jesus, that they would do a good job of listening. Listening the way that you would want them to listen. Truly hearing God. I pray that for some people who are spiritually blind, they would get sight for the first time in their life today. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Truly, Jesus wants something for you, not from you, when he asks you to deny yourself and to follow him. Here's number one. This is why it's good news. You will serve something and Jesus is the best master. You will serve something. Now, when we think of the Bible and the word worship shows up, uh, we tend to think of singing, what Jen just led us in very well. But really what worship is, you could literally translate the word service. To say I worship something is to say I serve something. And sometimes we do that through lifting our voices in praise, but we serve God in all of life. That's why the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 says that this is your true worship, that you would be a living sacrifice, that all of it is for Jesus. And the truth is, you cannot live in life without worshiping, without serving something. So in that illustration I did for my youth kids, I put me in the center of the circle because that's what it feels like and that's what it looks like to us. But in reality, what's really in the center of that circle is whatever we worship. So if we really worship people liking us, then that goes in the center and that's what affects everything else we do. If money is our primary motivator, if sex is our primary motivator, if pleasure is our primary motivator, you get the point, so on and so on. We think that we are the one in charge, but eventually what happens is those things that we think we are the master over become the master over us. So the question is not, will you have a master in this life? The question is, is it a good master 
Or is it a bad master? David Foster Wallace, who's an atheist, acknowledges this. This is a quote that he has. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap your real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Or if David Foster Wallace isn't your type, the great theologian Bob Dylan (laughs) once sang, You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you the doctor or they may call you the chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. Amen. Amen. And that's the truth. So when I say serve Jesus, I'm not saying, you know, you're not serving anybody right now. You're totally free and serve Jesus. No, what I'm saying is, and what Jesus is saying is you already have a bunch of masters and those masters don't care for you. Those masters will eat you alive. There's a, a great movie from the 1940s called Citizen Kane. And uh, in this movie, it's about a guy who acquires a lot of wealth. And in the beginning, it's him and his wife. And they're in this tiny little one-bedroom apartment. And they have this kitchen table. And they're really close to each other. They're close to each other physically. And they're close to each other emotionally. Well, by the end of the movie, we see a scene into this huge mansion that is stuffed full, cluttered full of stuff. And they're back at the dinner table, except now the table is as long as this room is. And he's on one side and she's on the other side. And it's representing not just their physical distance, but the emotional distance that's between them. And kind of one of the major points is that not the things, not everything that we pursue end up the way we think they will. And sometimes those very things we pursue are the things that take away the things that we love the most in this world. Jesus says it this way, Mark chapter 8, verse 36. He says, for what? Does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? Jim Elliott, who uh, was a missionary, gave his life for the mission of the Lord. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, the more I serve Jesus, the better my life gets. The more I serve Jesus, the more I gain for all eternity. The peace, the salvation, the purpose and the fulfillment continues to grow. The more I serve everything else, the smaller of a person I become. And the more that thing will let me down in the end. So number one, why is it good news that I'm telling you to give up everything and serve Jesus? Well, because you're going to serve something and Jesus is the best master. And I might not have sold you just quite yet. So let me go to number two. Number two is when you love someone, serving them is natural. When you love someone, serving them is natural. That is one of our missions here at Ascent. Ascent. It says it there on the back. Love Jesus, love like Jesus, inspire the world. What do I want? I want us to be a group of people who love Jesus. Not love religion. Not love the Bible for the Bible's sake. But we love the Bible because in it we find out about Jesus. And we love Jesus. And if you love somebody, serving them is natural. had a pastor tell me this. And I didn't believe him at first. thought he was crazy. He said, Blake, really, you can boil love down to this. To say I love you is to say I sacrifice for you. 
To say I love you doesn't mean you get goosebumps, although sometimes that happens. To say I love you isn't really always this emotional type of lovey-dovey feeling that we have for something. No, when you say you love someone, what you're saying to them is I sacrifice for you. I am willing, I am committing to sacrifice for you. Love is a big deal. And I used to not believe that, Pastor, but the older I get, the more I see that to be true. When somebody tells me they love their kid, you know what I know what that means? It means they sacrifice for their kid. That kid's not going to tell you thank you. That kid's not going to pay you back. You know, Taylor and I are pregnant. I keep saying that. She's the pregnant one. I know. (laughs) But we were there at the very first doctor appointment. And uh, the doctor was explaining to Taylor about uh, her health. And Taylor had actually lost some weight. And she was kind of concerned about that. She said, don't be concerned. The baby gets what the baby needs. Honestly, from a scientific perspective, the baby is a parasite. (laughs) she, She said, it's a parasite for the next 18 years. Longer than that. I got a witness. So when I say I love you to my kid, what am I saying? I'm saying I sacrifice for you. (laughs) And I give of myself for you. And when you love something, does that not come natural, friends? You know how I knew I loved Taylor? Like I knew, I was like, oh man, I'm in love. Uh, I used to work at Texas Motor Speedway, which meant I got free NASCAR tickets. Uh, Which to me is like a worshipful experience. To be at one of those with all those rednecks. And, um, and uh, Taylor's prom happened to fall on the day of the NASCAR race. And when I found myself driving away from a free NASCAR race to go to prom, I knew I was in love. And yet it didn't cost me anything emotionally. I was happily driving. I was speeding on my way there. Because to say I love you is to say I sacrifice for you. Yesterday was probably the greatest day of my life. I got to see a sonogram of my baby. And I'm not supposed to tell you guys the gender, so if I slip up, it's a secret between you and I. (laughs) She's in there, so don't say anything. Uh, And the first sonogram was cool, but it was just like a little bean. Like you could, I mean, I couldn't tell anything. This was a 5D sonogram, so you could actually see the baby. And uh, I think to most of you, it looked like an alien. Uh, You know, not the most attractive thing, but to me, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. I didn't even care about the gender as soon as that picture came up. I, just, I love seeing that heartbeat and seeing that baby move around in the womb to see the face. To see the personality that was already beginning. To see the baby suck its thumb in the womb. And I knew in that moment, as soon as I saw that picture, that I would die for that alien right now. Amen. With a smile on my face. Why? Because to say I love you is to say I sacrifice for you. When you love something... Sacrificing and serving them comes easy, doesn't it, friends? And this is what Royce read for us this morning out of John chapter 3. The reason why people don't follow Jesus, the reason why some people are not Christians is not because Jesus isn't inclusive. It's not because Jesus turns people away. The reason why people don't follow Jesus is because they love other things more than they love Him. And if they loved Him, then they would gladly walk away from those things. John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, it says, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, that be Jesus, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Isn't it interesting how two people can watch the same thing and eat the same thing and have two completely different reactions? Uh, My grandma, Wendy... Uh, has messed up taste buds, I'm pretty sure. Because she likes black licorice. 
Yeah, I mean, like, how does that even stay in business? I don't know. It's just gross. It's nasty. And what's interesting, though, is, you know, we could open the same package of black licorice. I take a bite. I want to throw up. My grandma takes a bite, and she loves it. Why? Her taste buds. She desires it. She loves it. And I do not. (laughs) Or, you know, I mentioned NASCAR earlier, and a lot of you guys like to give me a hard time. Here's another left turn. Okay, please stop. Uh, But you guys would be bored stiff at a NASCAR race where I'd be excited out of my mind. We're at the same NASCAR race. We're watching the same thing. What's the difference? We have different desires. We have different taste buds. We love different things. So this verse actually helped me a lot with the the theology around hell. You know, I I used to think of hell uh, as a place where it was like God's torture chamber that he sent people because they didn't follow his way. And I was thinking, man, that's man, that's really hard to wrap my mind around. But in reality, what hell is, and there's a lot of imagery around it and a lot of things in our culture that make us think different of what actually the Bible says about it. But what hell truly is, is separation from Christ for eternity. And I used to think of that as God's mean judgment against people, but it's actually a piece of his mercy because some people wouldn't like heaven. Heaven would be hell to them. And when we think of heaven, we tend to make up our our own kind of version of heaven. It's what we like. You know, if you like fishing, then it's just a big fishing pond. If you like, uh, you know, steaks, then there's steaks. If you're a vegetarian, which is weird, uh, (laughs) then all the animals prance around fine. And we kind of make up in our own mind what heaven is. And the truth is, is the Bible gives us some kind of a picture. But really what we know for sure about this final resting place for those of us who are believers is that God's presence is everywhere. I get to see Jesus face to face. Now, if you don't like that, if you don't like his way, then you wouldn't like heaven. That's why I love Dallas Willard. Uh, Somebody asked him, they said, Dallas, you know, how could God send people to hell? Who do you think will be in heaven? And he said, I think everybody who can stand it will be there. And I think that's so true. In fact, some of the early church fathers, this really blew my mind a couple weeks ago when I studied this. They actually believed that heaven and hell were the same place. That for all of eternity, we're all in this place where God's presence is everywhere. But for somebody who does not love Jesus, it is eternal torment because the darkness that they loved is gone. And for those of us that love Jesus, we can't get enough of the light. We continue to grow in our joy. Tasting the same thing, seeing the same thing, but we have different taste buds. So friends, do you love Jesus? Because if you love Jesus, then serving Him is easy. If you don't love Jesus, if you love your darkness then you will avoid the light of Jesus at all cost. It's kind of a humbling thought, and you kind of begin to think, well, how can I love something? You know, I can't make you love NASCAR. I can't make you love black licorice. There's nothing my grandma Wendy could do to make me love black licorice. (laughs) So how do we fall in love with something? How do I fall in love with Jesus? And the truth is, is you've got to see it. You've got to see him for who he is. And I fell in love with that sonogram after I saw it. When the thing lit up and I saw the heart beating and I saw the tiny little nose, I began to cry. A grown man crying at a picture of an alien on a screen. <laughs> I saw it. I said, that's my... I'm not going to tell you guys. It's my kid. <laughs> I want to tell you. I really do. we fall in love with Jesus? Well, we see him on the cross dying for us. I dare you. I double dog dare you to read the passion accounts and see Jesus doing that as for you and to say, I don't love him. Romans chapter five says this about what Jesus did for us. It says, for rarely will someone die for a just person. 
Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves His own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies, not already cleaned up, looking good and holy and righteous. No, when we were in the depths of our sin, we were at the bottom of the pit. God said, I want Blake Farley. He died for me, his enemy, to make me his child. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? You know, the Passion of the Christ is an old movie uh, talking about the the final week of Jesus's life. And it's very graphic uh, as it shows the portrayal of Jesus dying on the cross. And Mel Gibson was the director of that movie. And the scene in which they had to drive the nails through Jesus's hands Uh, Mel Gibson didn't want to ask anybody else to have to be the one to do that. And so in the movie, when you're watching that, it's actually Mel Gibson's hands that are driving the nails into Jesus. And he said, that was the most spiritual experience I've ever had in my life. Friends, that's all of us. Through our sin and what we've done to separate ourselves from God, we are the ones driving the nails into the one who has come to save us. And he loves us all the more. How do you look at that and not fall in love with that man? It's impossible. That's why John, in 1 John 4.19, he says, We love because he first loved us. Francis Chan says, The only sane response to God's love is wholehearted devotion to Jesus. The crazy people in this world are those who have experienced God's love and yet remain complacent. Not those who let go of all they have to follow Jesus. When I saw that sonogram, my life changed like that. When you see the cross of Jesus, your life ought to change like that. You can't just look at that kind of love and go, ah, no big deal. You know, back to what I was doing. No. When you've seen that light, that's the only light that you want. So why is it good news that we serve Jesus? Well, number two is because when you love someone, serving them is natural. And the last one is following Jesus brings clarity to life. Jesus was fully God, meaning that when we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. Uh, He tells one of the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you're ever wondering, what is God like? Well, then you read the accounts of Jesus because you see what God is like. But what we often forget is Jesus was also fully man. And if you want to know what a human is supposed to look like, if you want to know what a fulfilled human life looks like, then you look at the life of Jesus. And this is why he's described as a light in the darkness, because let's be honest, sometimes life can feel pretty dark in the sense, not just of sorrow, but in the sense of, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with my life. You know, sometimes people say, Blake, I can't believe there's so many denominations and Christians can't agree on anything. And I want to say to them, nobody can agree on anything. You know, like try to try to find a diet. You will find two diet experts saying the complete opposite thing. You need more carbs. No, you need less carbs. You need meat. No, stay away from meat. It'll kill you. You know, and the same is true with your finances. In every area of life, you have all these experts. And one expert's over here, and one expert's over here. And you're like, which way do I I go, you know? I have no idea. I've read three parenting books already, and what I'm learning is you guys don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Nobody does. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a light in all of this darkness? And this is what Jesus Christ comes to do. How many of you are indecisive people? If you're wondering or not, if you should raise your hand, you're probably indecisive. <laughs> my, uh, my wife is, is really indecisive. Uh, love her to death. It's just not her spiritual strength. Um, 
And sometimes I'll be decisive for us, and she's still indecisive. You know, where do you want to eat dinner? And I'll just say a place, Carl's Jr. And she'll say, ah, no, not Carl's Jr. Okay, Subway. I don't really want a sandwich. And I'm like, well, what is it? Do you not know what you want, or do you? Because if you do, just tell me already. You know? But it's this kind of indecisiveness. And, and, and I figured out where she got it from. It's her whole family. Uh, her, it is. Her sister, same way. They can't decide on anything. And the root of it is their father. Uh, I was on vacation with them uh, one time. And uh, he was like having a hard time with the decision. And I was just, I literally was kidding with the guy. And I said, oh, so you're the one where they get their indecisiveness from. I kid you not, guys. He looked at me with a straight face and he said, well, I don't know. Maybe I am. The truth is we all have a little Robert Harris in us when it comes to life. What do I do? And Jesus comes to be that light. Do you want to follow the light of the world? And now here's the thing about following Jesus. It's a lot like when you're a toddler trying to follow your parents. They do things that don't make sense. And what does it take? It takes trust. Jesus has led me places I wouldn't have wanted to go by myself. Jesus has called me to do things that I wouldn't have chose myself. It makes no sense. How does Jesus say I'll gain by giving? He says, blessed, happy is the one who gives. That it is better to give than it is to receive. If you've been in church a long time, that makes sense to you. But man, that's ridiculous. What do you mean it's better to give than it is to receive? And yet anybody who's followed Jesus in that would tell you that he's right. Oftentimes the light is confusing. And what Jesus calls us to do when he calls us to serve him is not because he wants something from you. He doesn't need anything from you. You know, Jesus wasn't looking at us from heaven going, oh, I really want those people to follow me. No, I want those people to follow me because I love them. I want something not from them, but something for them. It's number three, Jesus brings clarity to life. And if you're wondering, well, Blake, how can you know that he is the one who brings clarity to life? How can we trust him? Because the tomb is empty. (laughs) Friends, do you realize that every other person, every other philosopher, myself included, is or will one day be dead? I'd much rather follow somebody who's alive. I heard the great preacher Adrian Rogers. He's with Jesus now, but he's still on the radio. It's creepy. If I die and my thing's on the radio, take it down. I don't want you guys listening to a dead man on the radio. But anyways, Adrian is on the radio. He's got a big Baptist voice. And, uh, and he's telling a story about a young man. I don't know if it's true or not. Preachers tell lies all the time. Uh, <laughs> if it's a good story, you've got to use it. You know. Um, but this kid was in a classroom. And, uh, and, and they were writing, a, the assignment was to write a story on the greatest living man ever. And he wrote a story about Jesus. And his teacher said, young man, this is great. But I said about a living man. And he said, oh, teacher, that's where you're wrong. Jesus is more alive today than he has been in any other time in the point of history. Amen. There's something to learn from that little boy. You think you know better than the eternal one? Okay, whatever. If that's what you think, if you think you know better than the God of this universe, then try it out yourself. But as for me, I want to follow the light of the world, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who created me. It's not offensive at all. Now, if you bought a Tesla, let's say you're rich, you have a Tesla, uh, you're my friend, and, and I get in your Tesla, I know nothing about Teslas, I drive a Subaru that needs to go to the junkyard. And I get in and I begin to tell you how to run your Tesla. I'm like, oh, press this button and that button. You'd be like, dude, stop. You don't even know what you're talking about. But if Elon Musk got in your Tesla and he said, we created this thing with this button and that button. And actually, you can go to space if you press this button. (laughs) You'd be like, this is awesome. Because this guy knows because he made it. 
In the same way, I can only tell you about the human experience as a human. But what if there was one who created humans that could tell us what we were meant to do and meant to be? This is what Jesus of Nazareth is. So friends, I hope that you see that it is good news that he's called us to serve him. Jen, if you want to go ahead and come up, I'm going to land this sermon. Uh, This is truly an invitation to trust. That's what I'm asking you guys to do. To trust Jesus. To see that he is good. Mark chapter 10 is my favorite chapter in the Bible. Mark's my favorite book of the Bible. I don't know if pastors are supposed to have favorite books of the Bible, but I do. I love the gospel of Mark. And uh, I love Mark chapter 10 most of all. And as a part of Mark chapter 10, uh, we see this rich guy who comes to Jesus. And uh, it's the only time in all the gospels that Jesus says he loves somebody. He says he loved that guy. Only time in all the gospel. And the guy walks away from Jesus because he loved his money. The point is, is that Jesus loved him, but he loved his money. He chose the darkness over the light. Well, friends, that's what all of us who walk away from Jesus do. It's not a lack of love from Jesus. It's, it's that we love something greater than we love him. And Jesus is sorrowful when he walks away. But then Jesus begins to talk to his disciples And he tells them why it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God because they have so much to give away. And by the way, we are all filthy rich. You think I'm not rich because you compare yourself to other rich people. Compare yourself to a third world country. You are filthy rich. So this is something we should really pay attention to. And Peter being Peter. Gosh, I love Peter. (laughs) He's just like me. you know. And Peter, he, he, he says, Jesus, look at us. We've given up everything for you. And Peter looks at or Jesus looks at Peter and kind of shakes his head. In verse 28, it says this, Peter began to tell him, him being Jesus, look, we've left everything and followed you. Aren't we so righteous and good, Jesus? And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, not in the next life, now at this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, and mothers, and children, and fields with persecutions, and eternal life in the age to come. And if you've ever had to explain to a toddler who's playing with something that you're trying to take them to a better place. You know, I feel like toddlers are an example of what we are as adults when it comes to God. You know, you're trying to take them to Disney World, and they're mad because they want to keep watching Mickey Mouse on the TV. You know, they're in their room playing with a Lego set that's old and a hand-me-down. You're trying to take them to Lego Land! And they're crying and they're mad and they're yelling at you because they want to stay and play with these Legos. They have no concept that by walking away from this, something better, something greater is awaiting them. Well, friends, that's us as Christians. We think that our our money and our sexuality and our pleasures that we want to hold on to so deeply, that's where real joy is. And Jesus is saying, trust me. I'm trying to take you away from this little Lego set to Lego land. I have greater things in store for you. And I don't know who I'm supposed to speak to today, but I know I'm supposed to speak to somebody. Some of you are holding on to something and Jesus wants you to let go of it so that you can follow him to what he truly has for you. And like a good father, he's inviting you to trust him. Father, thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you that you came to show us how to live. We often want to know why certain things happen and we don't get the why very often, but we do know that you love us because you took on flesh And you walked amongst us and you died for us. And Jesus, I pray for anybody in this room today who is holding on to something, who is 
not trusting you fully. They're living on their own or they're serving another master. Lord, I pray before it's too late, before that master masters them, that they would surrender to you, the only good and true master. And I pray that they would see the love that you have for them in a new and a fresh way. Because God, when you see that love, it transforms you. And nobody has to ask you to sacrifice for it. You just do it naturally because of the love you have. With your eyes closed and head bowed, friend, I want you to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? And listen for about 20 seconds. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd give us the courage to obey what you've called us to do. It is in your name that I pray. Amen. If you would, stand up. If you're struggling to trust Jesus, I want to read what the Apostle Paul says. This is how you can know that Jesus has your best interest in mind. Romans 8, 31 and 32. It says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Let's sing to this king, friends. Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.